And welcome to Feed Your Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Peter, thanks for uh, joining me, man. I know it's been a tough week for for the for the household. You had to replace a water heater, and then all kinds of other stuff happened. Novo virus. Uh, I just finished picking up pieces of vomited cherry and strawberry. <laughs> my daughter exited out of her mouth all over her bed sheets. That. My wife lovingly oh. made her for dinner last night. Oh, God. It's, I had Stevie and I both had that like a year and a half ago, and it was bad enough not to have to deal with a poor kid that's got it, too. Like, ugh. Adventures in, in parenting, my friend. It's, uh, it's a shame you don't have a holographic doctor to summon up to to deal with it. <laughs> that that would have been a real help, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, we skipped, we skipped two days of uh, recording to yeah. push back on a Sunday. So this is a little offbeat for us. I did get some cool stuff though. After seeing it at your house, when we recorded threshold, I checked out that Eagle Moss site that does oh, yeah. the um, overpriced Star Trek spaceships. Absolutely. And anybody who's, you know, been around the block uh, from the beginning, like us, you'll remember the old micro machines spaceships and i thought those were cool as shit and i've always liked you know i've got a little enterprise and star destroyers on top of my computer but these things are like what 22 bucks a pop Quality's pretty high on them and i like that they come with that book too yes the book was a nice touch it, it, told, it told you about like the uh the shuttle that they like put at the bottom of the saucer section on voyager but they didn't actually end up using it at any point in the show yeah it also tells you i you know and it's funny because even though stuff's like original or you know licensed official there's so many contradictions between it and the show that what's what's the point? You could just say that, hey, the whole ship's made out of ice cream. And it's like, man, maybe in one episode it actually was. There's no rhyme or reason. It's all. But whatever. The the figure's pretty cool. And I, I dig that. So that was my good part for the week. That, and, you know, not dying. Hey, hey you know what? Good job. Yeah. Well done. I'm glad we didn't have to get some Federation necromancy going in here. And that mm. you could make it through to recording, you know, uh, Voyager's latest uh, projectile vomit. And what was that? Uh, we were on season three, episode 16, Blood Fever. So I, I want to enhance the experience for both you and our listener. And to do that, I felt like given the premise of this episode, I would tap into a resource that I had available to me, namely my wife, Stevie, to explore an idea uh, that came up on one of our live casts. You, uh, Remember the discussion about um, Star Trek erotic fan fiction? Unfortunately, yes. Well, you know, this seems like an episode where we need to set the mood a little bit. So let me um, let me go ahead and do that and give you a selection from the very finest of the internet. <clears throat> this is a Vulcan Restraint by Ashley Ingenious. Do you have any idea how close I was? Spock began. Voice shaky. How close I was to taking you in that chair, on the bridge, with your crew watching, to give you what you wanted, feeding your something in front of them, in front of all of them, and you would have taken it. I could hear you. I could hear you in my mind, moaning like some kind of whore. Jim shuddered violently. Do you know how much it wrecks me to see you and hear you? To feel you in my head. To know that you love this. You love being on your knees for me. Love being called my whore. Isn't that special? I couldn't tell you a single thing you just talked about because uh, in my mind, I retreated to a better place, which was <laughs> reliving using my fingernail to dig dried puke strawberries out of the velvet of her bed sheet before I put it in the wash machine because I knew it would just fuck it up more. So I don't know what you're talking about, but cleaning baby vomit with my with my bare hands was a lot better than it. <laughs> there is so much of it out there. And you see an episode like this, and you can understand where people get fucking inspired. You know? Uh, I remember when this got marketed. Uh, you remember Resistance and how it, it was actually even in the Memory Alpha about how the marketing was very strongly oriented towards the idea that Janeway was going to like sell her body for her crew or something like she was going to hoe it up, which is about 
1.3% of the actual episode contents. Yeah, it's like barely a minute and a half. <laughs> it's like a one-off ruse to get a gun or something. Yeah. This episode was essentially marketed in much the same way as being a 24-7, 365 uh, Vulcan on Klingon fuckfest. And, you know, it's... it's uh, Kind of was. <laughs> it was, I would say, more accurate in that regard, but it's far. It was far more interesting an episode than the marketing actually suggested it would be. At least for the first like two thirds. The well, last third is just fucking hilarious, but the first two thirds is is kind of deep. You know, there's a lot going on. Let's go with uh, let's go with ending thoughts before we go blow by blow here, because. Even though it's been two or three days at this point since I've seen it, I'm still trying to work out in my head if if I liked the episode, if this episode has like psychologically scarred me towards Vulcans. That's a lot to work out. And and I don't know if we're going to say that this episode was kind of a product of the times for that point in the 90s. Yeah, it's a real artifact of its period. I agree with you there. And this is Lisa Klink at the helm on the script for this thing. Uh, it was Lisa Klink, and it was. It looked like it was the guy from who played Garrick in yeah. Deep Space Nine. Also, that the is, guy from Hellraiser. That is correct, uh, Andrew Robinson. So, possibly my favorite Star Trek actor by uh, dint of the fact he played my favorite Star Trek character, Garrick. Um, you know, sainted Picard aside, uh, he he directed like three total episodes between DS Nine and Voyager, so he, he didn't stick. Uh, on the director path quite the same way as others did but he did this one and yeah it was lisa clink who did resistance so that was a strange uh coincidence in regards to the marketing uh as well as uh remember which we did earlier this season which was uh, another balana episode uh, i think so. it's the use of of forced sexuality which is I don't know, kind of makes me happy that there's a female name associated to the script. Maybe it diffuses it a little bit. I think if you would have had a guy in there, there'd be some, I don't know, some weirder feelings. But this one, this turns a lot of stuff on its head. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree uh, right up front that you could, not even at the time, could you have done this episode with the gender roles reversed? Absolutely, there is no way in hell that would have passed muster. But if you had like tried to like flip this, if it was like Tom Paris that was infected with juju juice and needed to bang to save his life and only Bellana could bail him out, you couldn't have done that. Did you like it? You know, we look at the last episode that was, and, and you know, having listened to that podcast since then, I will agree that was, that was a bad episode. This one did have that singular purpose. And I think it did explore characters and we did see a fair amount of growth i did enjoy the inclusion of a lot of secondary characters and some cool alien situations i think the side of vulcan that we see is is real scary and it like i said it kind of taints that species as a whole i you know what i'm gonna say i did like it uh it, it was different i think it worked and it was edgier than we normally get in star trek so you know i i would say that it it added to to the Voyager story. I, I think it was it was a clumsy in a lot of ways in that they tried to make something from Star Trek's past make more sense, but they didn't really succeed in that. And the last uh, the last bit of the last act where they have the the final you know resolution of the plot was just kind of laughably dumb and and how they roll that out but despite that i think there is actually a lot to like in this episode particularly trying to like start doing some character development for balana and tom who are, are characters we don't know a lot about like their personal lives and particularly balana and that sort of thing trying to to give them all more fleshed out background uh, i liked that i think that the the unintentional hilarious parts of this episode are, I guess the doctor embodies it in a lot of ways. And we'll get to it of like trying try being the audience surrogate to be like, how the fuck does no one know how any of this work? <laughs> like 
why are you Vulcans so fucking stupid about this? Which I'm glad, like, during the episode, he gives voice to that. Yeah, and, and I look forward to discussing that specifically. So let's get started. Um, we jump off into our first scene, and we are treated to a brand new wig that has been bestowed upon Ensign Vorik. He now no longer has this goofy, dark Kendall wig, but he's got, like, a legit Vulcan science dude wig, and it yes. looks good. I don't know, man. You know, next gen, they started off in the front zip one piece uh, jumpsuits, right? And then they got the bigger budget and they switched over to the two piece, but they kept the the front zip suits around. And all the nobodies on the ship still wore the old uniforms because they already paid money from them. They were going to be the new nice ones. And you could kind of differentiate like main cast versus secondary cast. But these uh, these Voyager Deep Space Nine jumpsuits they're all kind of the same or are they i feel like vork's uniform looks nicer than most of the main cast i I don't know if that was just in my mind or or what did you pick up on that at all i think it just fits him a little bit better like for whatever reason the kind of the backup uniform happens to be his size that or the fact that his mother is the showrunner at this time is that they had one specially made for him that seems more likely to me. Mm. The, the actor's uh, mother, you know, little, little little nepotism is Jerry Taylor. So, you know, we're going to make sure our boy looks good on camera for his his episode that spotlights him. Like, uh, you know, sometimes the simple explanation is true. But we're down in engineering and it's well, no, actually, we're not even engineering yet. The, the Voyager, you know, we get a good exposition by the captain that they've come across a planet with some an obtainium that's really going to help them out if they can get it they can refurbish parts of the warp uh drive and it's going to be a real good time if they put the if the effort into recovery of these materials and that's always the kind of setup i like to see at the top of these episodes a good justification of why are we getting into the nonsense yeah. why are we endangering ourselves because this is a very valuable thing that will allow us to do something important to our to get home ship. yeah yeah but the stuff they want is underground, and for whatever reason, they're not just going to transport down there. They need to send a away team down in the most archaic fashion possible, and they're going to have to cave dive into this. And right now, the away team's looking like it's going to be Balana and Neelix for some reason. <laughs> uh, Tom Paris, because he's a caves badass, and Vork, because he's part of the engineering detail and he's got some cave experience too. So they set all that up, and in a, I guess we would call it most charmingly Vulcan way possible, Vork basically asks, are we done uh, with this particular work product? As if to like transition into another conversation and and Belinda's like yeah that that's it uh we've got it all figured out and then he says excellent i would like to declare my vulcan word i can't pronounce uh that uh, i'm proposing marriage to you but we get a lot of like reaction shots back to balana where she's like and kind of protests about this and Vork very logically like lays out the the rationale for why he thinks that they should be mates and that uh, they should proceed uh, with uh, being married because it's the logical thing to do. Quite expectantly, uh, Torres is not uh, wanting to do that, does not accept. He's she's really diplomatic about it. Like this is in the workplace, Vorik. You know, like, this is not appropriate conversation. I was really expecting her to to lay down the law hard on him. And you'd mentioned a few episodes ago that Vork was going to get creepy. And that's certainly what happens here, even before we get into, like, his full-blown space madness. By today's standards, like, this dude is just pressing way too hard and going for no. Up to the point where she officially says no, it's just kind of, you know, awkward Vulcan shit. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is she says no and she starts to walk away. And that's when Vork is being obviously like aggressive and demanding and actually puts his hands on Bolana on her face, which at that point, uh, you know, Bolana does what she always does in engineering. And that's uh, that's <laughs> assault one of her uh, her underlings uh, by giving him five across the face. Just a solid Dolby punch, you know, as a palm As-strike, strike, I believe. Was it a palm strike? Was it Star Trek palm strike? Yeah, Star Trek palm strike. 
Oh, she was holding back then. That's good. Mm-hmm. She wasn't given the full Dolby. Uh, no. But once again, Blana has knocked out a member of the engineering crew, and we we cut uh, after credits back up at uh, Sick Bay as the doctor's like, "The fuck are you people up to right now?" Does some scans and then tells Bolana she's got to go because uh, he he's detected something that he needs to talk to Vorak about one on one. So and, in this scene, though, I want to point out it's like Kess, the doctor, Vork, Torres, and that's it. There's no security involvement at all, which seems a little weird since you just had a crew member basically assault you. And with all the alien possession illusion nonsense that goes on in this ship, I think they take these sorts of outbursts a little more serious when people really break character. Well, it could be that Bolana chose not to involve them since she was the one that, you know, she got assaulted to begin with and then essentially fought back. Mm. And she's like, well, I, I, I'm i just going to quietly take this fool upstairs and see if we can figure this out without. I'm going to choose to believe that it's just Tuvok furtherly uh, negligent in his duty. OK, security that's fair. <laughs> I mean, we've seen enough evidence of that there. It's like Tuvok was just busy watching YouTube videos. <laughs> just didn't give any fucks. Playing vulcan jenga that's all after bolana is dismissed in in what i feel is the best part of the episodes uh the the best parts of the episode uh the doctor looks over to vork and is says i don't know exactly what's wrong with you because there isn't a lot written about it but based on the evidence you're going through the pond far aren't you and vork straightens up and just does not want to talk about it and the doctor and habits i think uh, a very good line for the rest of the episode from this point forward of just utter confusion as to why the fuck the Vulcans on the ship and the vault, you know, and, and all the medical professionals in the Federation before this never fucking write anything down about this and seem so absolutely ashamed of to the, what the doctor uh, terms is essentially a natural biological process. I really like this. I think this adds a lot of depth to the Vulcan race. And I think this was some really, really good world building that you could have such a practical and logical species and just have something that is regarded as so deeply shameful internally to this, this culture that they are complete hypocrites in all senses and just hide it and push it in the corners at all costs you know, in this case, to very serious detriment of those around them. And even when Tuvok gets brought in lately, like nobody will budge on this at all until it's like the most dire of consequences. Yeah, the doctor calls it a very Victorian attitude towards sex. There is no effort on the part of the script or the story to try and justify the Vulcans being so conscientiously self-destructive, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, about all of this they yeah it's just what they do they're just so ashamed of it that even though they sort of recognize what that what they're doing is not logical and self-destructive they just are so ashamed of this loss of control that they suffer as a consequence of this that they will not discuss it with others and i think that it's it was cool. I actually paused the episode to kind of ponder on this. And, you know, the Vulcans are the, you know, the co-founders of the Federation, right? Humanity and, and yeah. Vulcan are the are the first two. The benefits that that bestows on them, the preferential treatment and the things that they can get away with that, you know, maybe some of the other species can't. And, and I think certainly this is one of them. And I think as the episode goes on and you see just how ugly Vork's actions are going to get, that, you know, it's kind of maybe justified that there's a very good reason that the Vulcans are so ashamed of how ugly this whole affair can get. And I don't know if the return to Vulcan specifically, because they say, you know, Tubak will go on to say, look, during this time, once every seven years, we have to go back to Vulcan and, and do this thing. The limits that puts on deep space exploration for starters, but then you flip over to like the Kelvin timeline, right? The the Abrams verse. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens to all the Vulcans now that Vulcan, planet Vulcan is actually gone? Um, just cool stuff to think about. The fact that Tuvok gets brought in almost immediately in the episode and the doctor's like, I need help dealing with Vorik. I, I, he's obviously struggling with this. 
you know, you need to tell me what it is you need to tell me. He's like, I'm not fucking telling you anything. Uh, there's three ways he can deal with this or, you know, he'll die. And he's chosen one of the ways that he can hopefully deal with it. Hopefully he won't die. Like he just, that's it. The only reason he ends up actually going to talk to Vorik in the second act of the, of the episode is because of the consequences of his original actions that we'll get to. That's, that's it. Otherwise he would, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not talking to him about it at all. Like that is not fucking happening. He's whatever, whatever happens, he dies, he dies. You know, he's like, he's like treating this like, Look, dude, he's got to go beat off, and you're asking me to go in there and, like, touch him and help him to get off. (laughs) I'm not interested, and I don't care if he dies of, like, toxic shock or whatever. That's a Vork problem uh, for Vork to deal with. I want to give the the actor portraying Vork a lot of credit here. I think that his performance through this episode, even as it gets very ugly, intentionally ugly, that he puts a lot of great energy and... Uh, emotional charge whether it's anger or shame into this character uh fear every too. yes because yeah. uh as we'll discover this is vorek's first bite at this particular apple and he does not fully understand any of it what's going on and uh that that plays out in a way that again the good parts of this episode are the fleshing out of the vulcan backstory that we see in the first 30 minutes and he does a great job i agree um the the episode moves forward with the, the rock worst climbing part. team. Yeah, the, the 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 not great part, which is the rock climbing team going to the surface. Balana's basically keeping Vorik secret at the moment, just says he's not coming. The uh, worst part she... of this, if I may, because this is just like a what the fuck moment. They meet up in the transporter room and they have these ridiculous ass baked potato outfits on. But <laughs> they have Federation what rock climbing gear on, man. What do you mean? I I classified it as Federation bobsled team. <laughs> They're like these skin tight foil cat suits, and then they'll have like the department uh, color kind of like I don't know loop around the shoulders. Neil is in ne- one too. Yeah, so say you got Neelix in the uniform, brother. Yeah, all my wildest dreams have come true. But everybody's like, uh, hey, where's Vork? And Balana's like, like you said, she's trying to sweep it under the carpet. But already her tempo seems off. And credit to Roxanne Dawson, she starts portraying the uh, unraveling of her character from this moment forward very well. Once again, this is the third fucking time in a row that we've had a Balana episode where they're like, hey, Roxanne Dawson, you got to play out of your fucking mind. Like, again, like it was Faces, and then it was uh, Remember, and now it's this. The damn Balada episode is that Balada has to be in a ridiculous situation that requires Roxanne Dawson to dig super deep into her acting skills. Look at what you just said. The three episodes. Faces, where she has to portray a horny Klingon, and then Remember, where she has to portray a horny teenager, and this where she has to portray a uh, horny, horny Klingon. Vulcan Klingon. <laughs> like, you're not asking Roxanne Dawson to play different characters. You're just being like, hey, you, we need Jin Heat again. <laughs> it's true. Uh, they, they get down to the surface of the planet and they start to do Federation rock climbing. And apparently the super science of the 24th century means... They use the exact same things that you use in the 20th century to do rock climbing. (laughs) Dude. Dude, I saw the original series movies. I know they have anti-gravity boots. What the fuck are they doing screwing around with these Batman grappling hook guns and and repelling gear like hundreds of years ago, Spock was just floating in the air talking to Kirk. With well, just magic to boots. climb El Capitan, yeah. Just, just with magic boots. What's going on here? Why? <laughs> I mean, I understand Star Trek V is ob- objectively terrible, and you don't necessarily want to take things from that movie and remind people that they exist, but the idea that the Federation rock climbing team is literally doing the exact same things that you would do in the 20th century. There's like no science here whatsoever that they've advanced. I can't think of anything less Star Trek, less Starfleet specifically than having to use a fucking rope. 
It's like they don't have any like cool like gloves and shoes that they can like Spider Man down the wall or some shit like that, which wouldn't have been I think a big ask uh, effects wise for them to do. No, that would have been no. dope. But a rope been... is like the most analog tool in the human, like, short of them just carrying clubs or or hitting hitting the warp core rocks to try and fix it. It's it it just seems so caveman to me. But they get this climbing nonsense going. And uh, wouldn't you know it, but there Neelix goes running off on his own, causing problems. I mean, to be fair, in this case, it's uh, his rope cutting and him falling and knocking Balana down in the process. But it's 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 classic Neelix. They they hit the bottom and Balana is immediately super pissed off at Snarf Snarf for possibly almost getting them killed. Uh, Neelix is pretty hurt. Uh, Torres is now clearly acting out of character and is just way too amped up, way too angry. Uh, Tom tries to actually stop her physically, and that's when he, she bites him on the cheek and then runs off. And uh, we we get Paris calling back up to the ship. But they're like, uh, I don't know how to describe all this, but we got we got some problems down here. And uh, that's when we, we really kind of kick into gear as far as the rest of the episode is concerned. Do you feel that that Tom threw Balana under the bus? <laughs> when you go to your boss and you say, hey, look, man, um, we're having some problems down here. And uh, my coworker bit me on the face <laughs> like you can't really walk that one back. Being, you know, that it's bad boy Tom, who's a little fast in the rules or fast and loose with the rules. Like, do you think do you think he rolled over on that one a little too quick? I don't think because I don't think so, because uh, to go back to the the sort of space hazards Rolodex that everyone has to deal with. Yeah. You know, Tom's like, I got to make sure I tell them everything that's just happened because God only fucking knows what's going on that she's decided to do that. So I need to provide as much information as possible up front. Tom's like, I don't need any felonious charges here filed after the fact. I'm going to be real up front. I need to make sure this shit's on, on, on lock and file with HR now. <laughs> like, I did not initiate that. It was done to me. So here's the big picture on this one, right? Tom ends up being a real good guy by the end of this because, as we, of course, can see the writing on the wall very clearly here, uh, Balana is going to be throwing herself hard at Tom, and he's going to play the, no, you're drunk, we're not doing this. Basically. I think at this point... It's too early in the game, and I think I would have liked to see Tom kind of wallow in this and relish it kind of like a shitbag a little bit, not knowing that there's something actually wrong and just thinking, hey, maybe my little flirty times are getting to her and this is, you know, this is legit. And then uh, a sudden realization like, OK, she's sick. I got to knock the bullshit off and and, and lock this down. Um, so I think they he plays, you know, he has played overly cautious from the jump but i think in the end it it serves a greater purpose i get it though i mean it makes a lot of sense for what the character development they want to do here which is tom you know does is attracted to balana he likes him she he he likes her and you know he he values her and this is a very very awkward situation of you know this woman that you're attracted to essentially uh, physically throwing herself at you aggressively. And then later on, as we'll discover, like literally having sex with her is how you save her life. Yeah. Like is, is what gets put out there. And uh, he's, he's resistant to doing it because he's aware of the altered state of mind and not wanting to basically violate her in any sense as a consequence of this, not being a fully sober conscientious decision that she's making which that all comes off like you said good for tom it, it develops tom into something less he's an ethical dirtbag you know mm-hmm. he's he's skeevy but he's not he's not a rapey <laughs> you know they're drawing a real clear line here all that's actually pretty good the cut back up to the ship is where we have tuvok finally having to go talk to vorik while he's you know, got you know metaphorical meditative dick in hand to try and talk to him about why it is that Alana seems to have initiated a mating ritual with with Tom on, on the surface. So I guess we should point that out. It is long understood in Trek lore uh, that a Klingon woman biting a man's cheek is initiation for sex. That is a TNG thing that we got, I think, from the Adura sisters, right? Yeah. 
I think they. I think the first shit. time you really encounter that was uh, when um, Susie Plaxton. Uh, what was? Oh her? yeah. Kale. 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 Yeah. When she shows up and you know ambushes Worf with the hotness. And I believe she bite him on the cheek. It's biting. I don't, whether it's on the wrist or palm or on the cheek, you know, the Klingon chick bites you, it's go time. Bingo. And so with that information in mind, when he buzzes that up, Tuvok kind of straightens up at a station like, oh, fuck. Goes to talk to Vorik. And this is where we get good acting in regards to Vorik's kind of fear and not understanding what's going on. Because he doesn't realize that he's basically psychically infected Bolana with super hormones he has transferred his big big dick energy on accident through a mind meld that he was essentially trying to establish without knowing that's what he was trying to establish in engineering it was instinctual and that has infected bolana with the big dick energy and now we you know we've got the problems that they've got on the surface reflect on this because it really illustrates the depth of shame that the writers are casting on the Vulcans where this guy didn't even know that this was a possibility that yes! is how dangerous the Vulcans are to the people around them like hey my mom or dad never told me like where's the Vulcan if, sex ed if you don't go back to Vulcan uh on your seven year mark uh and you jerk off in the shower you might get everybody pregnant If you bump into people in the hallway, uh, you might put them in heat and make them want to rape their coworkers. You might put murderous rape intent in their brain. And that's that's really kind of the the scary shadow coming off the Vulcan is like at their core. They have these moments of weakness where they become like this this crazy, super strong, telepathic, uh, manipulative rape machine. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and no information. I mean, Vork is a Starfleet officer and clearly an adult, and he has no knowledge of a process that he was destined to go through. No one has prepared him for this in any, like, real way. All he knows, he's got to, like, meditate the, the fuck energy away or or he's going to die. And he doesn't understand that he's capable of basically infecting people psychically with his big dick energy. And that is stunning. That they they put that in the episode. The only thing this was missing was the doctor being like, are you fucking serious? (laughs) Like, how the fuck do you... What? Why isn't this in a medical database? What the fuck is wrong with you people? This seems like a major uh, contamination issue for us. So Vork's in his quarters. He's got his little incense going. I see bunk beds, so God only knows what happens to his crewmate or who's stuck here. <laughs> Someone who's like, I'm going to sleep on someone's floor. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. And he's in there meditating. He's thinking about like taxes and <laughs> stuff at work he hates and baseball uh and you know cleaning up baby vomit with his bare hands just anything to get his mind off of nasty vulcan sex right speaking of nasty vulcan sex oh, i'm I have, sorry i'm uh, gonna go and take my headphones hold off on. back in about i, I got i got something here for you hold on afk bio break <laughs> it's, it's called in vulcan hands by Excella. this is in the mirror universe by the way Spock's bed frame has been specifically commissioned by the Vulcan High Commander, live hand to the Empress herself. The cuffs on the headboard were made of an iridescent dark material found only in one very small planet, deemed an imperial treasure. When one strained against the bonds, the tensions caused by the headboard to resonate in notes pleasing and arousing to Vulcan ears, the tone and depth of which charged according to the strength of the pool. Pavel tested his bonds cautiously as they both hummed softly. All right, I'm putting my uh, headphones back on, <laughs> Joe. I hope you're done torturing whoever has been brave enough to stick around and listen to this goddamn episode. Uh, well, you yeah, know. so this conversation goes down between Tuvok and Vork, and Tuvok's like, hey, by the way, uh, here's what's up. And Vork is in a real bad place. He's super snippy. He is acting well outside the parameters of what we know his character to be. And again, you you just have this real creepy, rapey vibe coming off of uh, potentially what could be any um, Vulcan. And it's ugly. And I think that's cool that you take what is many times kind of this Mary Sue uh, species of 
Star Trek and you've put so many points into their flaws at this uh, stage that I think you're getting some real mileage out of it. I completely agree. And they, they move from there back down to the surface. Chakotay has shown up with Tuvok and Paris is, is going on a, on a chase basically with them trying to find Bolana. Uh, they conclude that their best bet is to try and find the, the Galasite that they all came down to the surface to find. And I guess it's worth pointing out now because we haven't discussed it. They're in the minds of another civilization that does that evidently has been wiped off this planet. It doesn't exist. There's just some ruins. And these are some minds that were created by whoever these aliens were uh, in this in this uh, in this planet. And so they're 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 going through this area trying to find this resource that they were ultimately uh, mining this galosite that they're going to use for the for the warp coils. Uh, they they are successful in actually finding Balana as she finds the Galasite. And that's actually when out of the walls, a whole bunch of aliens show up with guns and things get a little bit more real. And in a, in a very cool twist, uh, you know, the aliens look great. You know, they they have this sort of like camouflage look to them. Yeah. Like they kind of look like the rock. And we don't really learn a lot about them except that they were a race that lived on the surface and they had to retreat into the mines after an invader came and just started wiping everybody out. And uh, Chakotay does his best to convince them that they're not a threat, but unfortunately Bolana, being infused with all this big dick energy starts a fight with one of the aliens that points a gun at her and uh, shit gets kind of wacky. And there's uh there's, uh, an earthquake that happens around that time and all of this is to set up Bolana and Tom being stranded in a different part of the mind system away from everybody else uh, so that they can have their shall we say close talking I love the aliens everything you said is right uh, them popping out of nowhere was actually startling to me as I'm sitting there watching you know <laughs> UPN TV I was like oh Jesus where the fuck was that? Like, did I miss a part? Like, how did this, how did Star Trek manage to startle me? I thought it was a really cool example of the Federation encountering a species in an odd fashion that should have been totally peaceful and good and like right up the Federation's first contact uh, protocol. But instead you have drunk, horny Balana running amok and, and <laughs> compromising everything that Chakotay was trying to do during his, you know, his one chance of being a first contact guy. Shout out to Beltrain, by the way, who looks great in his baked potato bobsled outfit. That's true. We gave him some shit earlier about uh, them having to put him in a drug rug to hide the paunch, but he's, he's been hitting good. the sit-ups. Yeah, yeah looking real looking good. good. Yeah, he actually does, like, Jakote does a good job of, like, negotiating the 10 situation. Like, the alien demands his, like, tries to, like why do you have a gun and he's like well it's standard when we like go to a place we don't know anything he's like i want your gun he's like sure here's my gun oh uh, when he did that i was like whoa chakotay like uh, uh let me ask you, man do we do we like chakotay now i think we kind of do uh, i think i firmly do like he hasn't really done anything stupid or pissed me off or had any like weak acting or been scripted to to act foolish in a long time yeah, I think the the second season, uh, you know, kind of washed out finally, like all of their attempts to, to make his backstory make sense. And, I, you know, the best part of him was the Seska stuff. Yeah. You know, like the, the Seska stuff, uh, that being gone is, is unfortunate. But overall, like season three Chakotay has been a marked improvement over prior Chakotays. I think uh, they've walked back his like sensitive side and made him a little bit more military hard ass. And they also have stopped trying to lean in on his Indian heritage stuff. Like the last time it got mentioned was him making fun of himself over the fact that he's the only Indian that you could possibly have had <laughs> that doesn't know how to start a fire. Like that was uh, that was it. Like other than that, he's just been he's just been a good company man and flirts with the, the captain a lot. Like I, I can deal with that. Yeah, they end up with uh, Balana and Tom lost in the caves and then Tuvok and uh, Chakotay get taken captive because at this point the aliens are like 
listen, we tried giving you the benefit of the doubt, but uh, now it's cleared us that you are up to no good. And we're going to take you back and interrogate you, found out how you found us, because we're not happy about that. And uh, we're going to pump you for information about all your fantastic technology. And again, to Chakotay's credit, he basically talks him out of it, like to say, hey, listen, um, we're, we came here to find this stuff. We detected it. Uh, I totally get that you didn't want to be found. Our bad. Uh, tell you what, we'll help you with uh, some technological enhancements so that somebody else who comes to try and look for this stuff can't find it and therefore just keeps going. And he seems like impressed. Like, really? You just help us? Like, yeah, sure. Why I will not? point out these aliens are also shitheads. They are shitheads. Stevie also pointed that out. Like, once again, shit in their hair. But like the overall look is much more blended. So what I'm thinking at this point, we've included when we're saying shitheads, it looks like they've taken dried lunch meats and like layered them (laughs) through their hair. (laughs) And in this case, they've spray painted them away from their normal fleshy tones to like paper mache rock colors. What if like in the Alpha Quadrant, you know, all the humanoids basically look the same kind of like humans with little minor variations of like ridges on their temples and their the bridge of their nose and stuff what if in like the delta quadrant like the shithead is the default humanoid type and everything's kind of just been a variation of like some crusty haired bipedal thing with different ridges around that makes i mean that's that's actually making something interesting out of what is obviously the makeup department being lazy (laughs) i mean i i like it that's a lot of good effort there man like when they're not just deciding that the alien they're going to run into are humans in terrible outfits, which we've actually seen a couple times. Yeah. Uh, the the makeup department seems really like the spray painted hair, the shithead, the baloney uh, <laughs> bonnet type of look, which, yeah, if, if we want to actually make something out of that, that's actually a good explanation. Good job. We'll send you oh, back yeah. in time and be a writer. It's, just, it's so, solid work. Meanwhile, back up on the ship, we have the pimp named Holodeck. Oh my god, this was fantastic. Man, ta- this is some shit that we were talking about, right? Yeah. Like, let's 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 lay this out. The doctor who is attempting to try and help Vorek deal with this stuff through like injections and medical stuff and it's not working, says to Vorek, I have an alternative treatment. Will you please try it? He talks him into it. Okay? And what happens is they go to the holodeck. And what the doctor has done is has programmed a holographic sex doll for Vorek that is a Vulcan that looks like a Vulcan female. So let me let me say that again. The doctor, who is a hologram, has decided to create a sex slave that specifically is has been created for Vorek to bang so he can bang out his big dick energy on the holodeck. This is his treatment idea. I was, I was, I was like, what, what the, the vistas this unlocks is just absolutely mind blowing. My question is, okay, so you're Vulcan and you know that this, uh, Pon far thing is a big fucking deal and it's going to limit the ability for your species to explore deep space. How the, so is, Vulcan a seven year journey or closer to Earth at warp one for first contact. It'd have to be right. Yeah, I don't don't know any. Actually, it'd be like what? Three and a half year travel distance because I'd have to be able to get out. Whatever. Get back. Yeah, whatever. We're not we're not going to get too deep in the retcon game. But, you know, when this holodeck technology comes out, like wouldn't if you're most Vulcans be like, hey, this might be like, you know, the fleshlight we need to really (laughs) conquer this very ugly thing if we just go bang you know some some holodeck characters and get this out of our system that'd be super you know hygienic and clinical right like oh wait we did it and it didn't work at all this is catastrophic we better maybe make a note of that somewhere so people don't ever rely on this as a backup only to find out that it doesn't work nope no dice so there he is in the holodeck pimping out one of his slaves to vork and Vork starts shaking his head like, you know what? I think I can give this a shot. I, I don't want to spoil too much for you, but they actually return to this idea in this show later. You can imagine for who. This is not the the, the last time that a someone will create a holographic sex slave for somebody. Well, you know what? In a 
series that doesn't remember anything it did the last week. That doesn't surprise me. I guess like this really does settle some of the discussions that we're having. Like it's totally okay in the Federation to have sex with a, a hologram. Yeah, because the doctor is literally prescribing this as a treatment. The doctor is effectively a veterinarian and he has a cat and the cat is in heat. And he says, you need a holographic Q-tip. And (laughs) that is that is my prescription. So to talk about the doctor's sentience for a second. I mean, how I mean, it's a shame that there isn't any opportunity for us to to take a second in this episode and consider the doctor's like thought process of what he thinks of holographic life, quote unquote, I guess this is a clear indication that like purpose built holographic programs to him aren't people because he can basically create something to be a sex life for somebody. And that's perfectly fine by him. Neil note that. And, and I hope I'm not somehow provoking you to read some prepared trash story you found on the internet, uh, that he doesn't just change himself into a Vulcan and, and try to do the deed himself here. Yeah, like which would have I think been more logical, you know, because why would the doctor Awkward. care? He's obviously not a sexual being himself, right? And he could have programmed himself with whatever. No, we got to stop this conversation. <laughs> We're giving people plot ideas for something I do not want to. No, we, we just need the right. We just need the right music to discuss stop. this. So, like, the doctor could have made himself look like this. No, you know this what? I think that thing. Nova virus is coming back on. I'm feeling real queasy here. Excuse me while I go throw up for another 24 hours. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, oh, man. Okay. Well, moving moving forward. Moving forward, right? I hope this episode can displace Tuvok in charge as at least listen to it. <laughs> what a yeah. badge of shame this will become. <laughs> I blame Lisa but, Clink. <laughs> we finally get all the Tom, the, the Tom Bellana face-to-face stuff that they play it up pretty well like to to the credit of both robert duncan mcneil and rick Dawson, they play off each other very strongly in these scenes there's a, a clear you know desire on both of their parts obviously balanas is much more intense for plot reasons uh it builds their relationship that will ultimately obviously build further from here they continue to try and escape you know they they look like they're going to be trapped you know it's coming down to like literally balana is begging tom paris to have sex with her she wants it so bad that uh you know she's she's crawling out of her skin it gets a little too much as far as as uh the exploitation element yeah <laughs> as it goes on at first it's cool and then it, like the second phase of the Please fuck me. Begging comes into effects. And I was like, this is just getting weird. Time out. We're in the enlightened 24th century, right? Sex is no big deal. It's all loosey goosey. There's no fraternization rules and everything else. Tom humps a lot. Like, uh, I think it kind of. Yeah, I get it. Up to the point where they feel like they have a method of escape. I understand why he's turning her down. But like the moment they look like they're 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 like trap trapped. It doesn't make any sense anymore. Not only is she in physical pain, but they've already very clearly communicated like the imbalance on this is so bad it can kill her. So get off this weird like Puritan prude high horse and just just bang her. Okay, we get it. You want to be a good guy, but you have medicine she needs to not die at this point. (laughs) And that medicine is your dick, dude. She needs vitamin D. She needs... But I mean, I think you go with like season one weird, sexy time swinger Gene Roddenberry Star Trek where, you know, they're beaming down to the surface of planets where everybody's just, you know, wearing scarves around their dick and and having sex nonstop. And then you get to this where you're my coworker and I don't like it kind of it lost me. The second time around, it gets a little too exploitive and the plot rationale for why Tom is saying no, no longer makes sense. And the, like you said, this is the enlightened 24th swinger century. People obviously have a very liberated sense of sexuality in the future. So like at this point, be like, all right, well, obviously you're in pain and we need to put that, put that to bed. So let's go ahead and put it to bed, (laughs) put it to bed. Right. But they don't, because again, they want to portray Tom in the maximal good guy light 
possible that he did not take it, quote unquote, take advantage. And I think that's obviously because this is the 90s and this is a family TV show and we can't have something like that on the show. Like if this were being made now, a totally different situation all around. Uh, But for the time period this was made in, I think it had to be this way. Speaking of things that had to be this way. This is uh, from the same from the same uh, thick as before, In Vulcan Hands by Zella. You are bound, bound by the constructs in your human mind. These binds pull on you. They tear at you. They oppress you. They hurt, Captain. Your eyes scream of it. Spock explained, rising from his seat to walk towards the captain, circling. I will bind you. My binds are the only ones that matter. Under this binding, you will be free from all others. He paused. You want this, yes? Yes, Jim strangled out. God, yes. There's a lot of BDSM slash fic out there. There's <laughs> a lot. I hope for the love of God that you exercise better judgment while editing this. And you just cut all that crap out and just put some of the sexy music in. And like maybe three words and then fade us back into us talking about Star Trek. Because that is... You're going to cost us listeners, Joe. <laughs> I'm or, telling you. Or we're going to find all new ones. No! <laughs> I quit. I'm out. All right, all right. That's it. I'm done. Um, done, I promise. Back up on the ship, EMH swings back through the holodeck, which, by the way, is the Talaxian slash Polynesian murder resort. <laughs> murder resort slash fuck palace. Uh-huh. Slash uh, clinical treatment area now. Sex therapy. Uh, he finds Vork. Vork's chilling out. He seems all good. And the doctor says, uh, did you enjoy my um, cyber flesh? And he said, yeah, actually, that worked out really well. Thank you. And uh, doctor checks him out, says, hey, everything's looking preliminarily pretty good. I got to run a couple more tests and you will be good to go back into dirties. So, you know, check plus in our book. I can look the other way. A lot of things that, you know, goes on on the ship because they can just chalk it up to human error or even Vulcan error because, you know, Tubak fucks everything up security related, but <laughs> he's not the, on the ship right now, though. So the negligence you know. we're going to see on the doctor's behalf and letting a very dangerous situation go before he has finished seems real against his uh, real against the code here. Um, I guess I get it more that because he, he there's no information out there. If he thinks that it's fixed, he probably thinks it's fixed. I you know, my like, my assumption is that what happens here is that he gets the first wave of all clear, and that either Vork truly thinks that he's been fixed and really the problem's just kind of gone into remission, or he's in like psychotic overdrive and like the the chaos has become calm and focused to lie his way out of the situation so he can go get what he really wants. Like he's gone full blown psycho. I think it's the latter. I mean, as we'll see, it seems likely. So Torres and Paris finally get sprung from the crit caves by Chakotay and Tuvok. But but Torres is just like in the terminal phase of her desperate need for vitamin D. And she, straight up, uh, Tuvok orders Tom, like, go take Bolana into the woods and fuck her to save her life. Like, that's it. We're there. We can't, for whatever reason, I can't reach the ship right now to get us beamed up, up abo- aboard. If you don't put your dick into Bolana Torres's vagina right now, Tom Paris, she's going to fucking die. So you go do that. And he kind of resignedly is like, well, I guess if I have to, which is like, it's a little, little much. And that's, that's really where this thing reaches the, the super eye really like, come on, we're, this is, this is a problem now. Yeah, and this is also the episode just kicks itself in the dick here at the end. Because what happens is Tom, like, reluctantly goes over and, like, magically forgets to have sex while Bolana starts, like, tearing his clothes off. You know, and he she wants him to fight him a little bit. You know, it's getting a little hot and heavy. And that's when Vorik shows up. And he, he, he shows up, like, punches Tom Paris... And yells that he is uh, he's he wants to do the the califi, which is the ritualistic fighting for the mate, because he sees Tom and Blana together and he assumes, OK, well, I'm going to obviously go fight Tom Paris now. 
and I'm going to claim my bride and, and, and that's, that's what's up. Um, and what is, becomes really like weird is that obviously Chakotay and Tuvok come over and Chakotay's like, no, fuck no, this is stupid. We're not going to fucking do this. We're going to go back up in the ship. We're going to treat this with like medical stuff. And then Tuvok's like, yeah, so pretty sure Vorak is the one who turned off all the communications and these two are going to die if they don't do this right now. So you have to let them do a fight to the death or they'll both die. And Tuvok with all I'm sorry, Chakotay with all the authority of a fucking substitute teacher is like, you know what? Fine, fine. I'm out. Like, fuck it. Like, go ahead. Go ahead, I guess. Whatever. I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired. Everybody want to have sex right now. Tupac just starts talking stupid here. I, I really checked out on anything he had to say. There's five or six different ways I think we could have found a way to handle this. Balana is effectively uh, Chakotay's best friend, right? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, there's a very clear line to her getting better, which is, uh, hey, her and Tom go back in the woods. And Vork, who is a full-blown, like, murder rapist psycho now right you could right. stunned him up a little bit maybe thrown him in the old juggalo prison to thaw <laughs> for a, a year or two yeah you know what hey here's another novel use for juggalo tech when when you start going through the pond far you throw him in there you go let the uh vulcans have their way with uh chuck mcgill and uh <laughs> pop him out two days later everything's good holodeck See, holodeck technology has nothing on that space clown pussy <laughs> that's the idea that like the doctor like goes into the juggalo prison after vorik has been in there and like the clown acrobats have like been split in half <laughs> like shit like that like you know and Vorks just like bathed in blood it's like they weren't enough yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> i can I- go to a bad place but yeah, Tuvok just goes off the rails on this one. It makes me kind of wonder if he's getting a contact buzz off of Vork with the crazy time here. Yeah, like, why didn't you just stun him? And then be like, all right, Tom, take her out, give her the D, and we'll just go back up the ship after you're done. I thought like, this whole thing was a surprise. <laughs> I was not expecting Vork to come back with a second round of the crazies and to disturb the, the sexy time in the woods. They set it up at the beginning. There are three ways to solve this. Bang it out meditate it out or fight to the death this was the only way for them to finish this episode without people having sex and then they obviously for for censorship reasons wanted to do that <laughs> like so instead of banging it out we're gonna have them fight i don't know it's star trek people are allowed to have sex people do have sex i think oh, that had only you- on ds9 bro only on ds9 surprisingly maybe andrew robinson his the episode of ds9 he directed was actually also a sexy time episode where a whole bunch of people end up actually banging in that episode unlike in voyager people had sex all the time in next gen i could i could i could list off dozens um troy i think that under alien uh influence (laughs) i I, the first one that sprung to mind was ro laren and Riker and uh conundrum i think had they cut this american gladiators bit at the end off and they just would have let you know Tom and Balana do their thing out in the woods, you know, faded away. Uh, let Vork have actually gotten off on the holodeck. They could have still kept the awkward scene at the end, and I think it would have come out a better episode for it. Vork and Balana having their their fist fight. I don't know. Maybe it kind it's of an gives... awful fist fight too. Like it is a terrible, bad Star Trek fighting scene. Maybe that was giving Roxanne Dawson, you know, giving Balana a chance to kind of get revenge on the guy who saddled her with this crap. I, I don't know. I, I like that we gave the, the only thing about it that's interesting. It gives Balana the agency to end what has happened to her rather than have to have someone else save her. Yeah, that that's a neat story beat. Uh, but man, did they like cobble together a Star Trek fight? Because they kind of keep cutting away so they can cut back to the uh, the stunt doubles. I guess maybe the stunt doubles don't look like them. So like whenever they do a stunt, both of the their, their faces have to be obscured. It looks awful. But the end result is they both basically both knock each other out. And this this fortunate circumstance clears them both of the blood fever and everything is OK. They beam back up. 
the local aliens are actually like really like happy with the fact that Voyager is helping them hide themselves. So they're going to give them the Galasite that they need. Tom and Bolana have a awkward uh, elevator talk like, hey, I know you're into me and I kind of want you to be into me. Like I'm interested in you and maybe some point when you're feeling more comfortable, we can I can see your quote unquote scary uh, Klingon side again. Basically saying when if you would like to bang and not be under the psychic influence of one of our alien rapists, I'm down for that. And she essentially says, you know, I am at some point going to bang you. Um, that, that That is not the last scene in the episode, though. The last scene in the episode is something that almost felt tacked on. And I think it might have been, uh, but is uh, extremely important. Uh, because what happens before Voyager pieces out from the planet, uh, Chakotay calls Janeway down to the surface to to see uh, something they found that was quite disturbing to them. It's the remains of one of the invaders, and wouldn't you know it? Oh my god, we're finally there. It's the Borg. Yeah, it's the Borg. I mean, you've already had your way with the Q. Bring uh, Bring on the next victim. I, I appreciate your uh, resignation to what to what you now must know as destiny, which is to be that... fair. This end scene is really cool. And if I didn't know all of your terrible foreshadowing, I'd be pretty excited to see what they were going to do here. Um, Chakotay parts bushes and you've got like the skeletal husk of uh, the organics eaten away. And there's some bone fragments like it's like a skeleton board. It looks pretty fucking sweet. Obviously, you know, the turbo nerd in me is like, but when the Borg die, they get beamed back up to their ship. So there's no remains. But it's like, oh, you don't know how long ago that happened, blah, 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 whatever. It's cool. It adds more neat stuff to this, the surviving race that has gone into the mines to dodge assimilation. Agreed. Gives you sympathy. Like, think about this race on the planet, like how hyped they were that Chakotay helped them finish hiding themselves at this this species has now resigned to basically for the rest of this existence live in the caves because of 20 minutes of terror that the Borg visited on them and the fact that it's not a bad idea at all for them to do this because this is the Delta Quadrant and the Borg are around and they could very easily cycle back. And you're now mole people because, you know, some asshole synthetics <laughs> rolled through and fucked your shit up that hard. The actual reveal and its part in this episode is cool. We obviously, we're, we're in the back half of season three, so it was Destiny um, that they were going to eventually have to start teasing this. And um, I think our next episode actually might have more Borg stuff in it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be positive about it from my perspective, simply because uh, so many of the Borg episodes end up being uh, disappointments. That's not to say all of them are. Um, there are some good ones. So, you know, don't hold out some hope. Uh, it's just that uh, they make a pretty, I think, in my opinion, big error right up front with them. And uh, they don't quite ever recover, uh, despite doing some things that I think were interesting later on. You never want to make your big boogeyman, spooky, you know, space zombies. The, the very, very next thing you want to make them not make them is, is less scary. Yeah, You know, like th- them being scary is what's cool about them. And, and unfortunately, what Voyager ultimately does is over 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 explain some things. And and right off the bat, they make them less interesting. And it's it's not as bad as what they do to the queue. I'll say that not as bad. Well, your suspicions are right. We're going to be going into season three, episode 17, Unity. We got Kess, the doctor and Balana around Medbay of a uh Borg drone. Chakotay finds a planet of unassimilated Borg drones from all over the galaxy. Yeah, I I, I guess we're, our theory about if Chico, we like Chakotay is going to be tested very quickly. <laughs> I recall this one being very Chakotay heavy. So uh, fingers crossed, Chakotay. Uh, we are now sitting at one hour and eight minutes of this episode uh, recording. Joe, it is my hope that you will find mercy. <laughs> 
in your editing, your your strong yet tender hands of editing. And you'll cut this down to, I don't know, 50 minutes with all of that god-awful <laughs> slash fic laying on the editing room floor. I, you know... If, you, I just... if there's any mercy within your bones, please... <laughs> This is a hateful voyage. <laughs> and sometimes... It's us hating Star Trek, not our fans <laughs> hating us. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Thank you so much for everyone for joining us. We appreciate everybody who's uh, come along lately. Uh, we've had a lot of, of growth. Thanks, actually, to to uh, Mike at Hail and Well Met, which is a podcast, uh, a D&D podcast. Uh, Mike's Australian, actually, which uh, was funny to listen to podcast and hear all these accents I'm like oh how exotic he's been a big fan of ours since the beginning and he's uh he's thrown thrown some attention our way and so anybody who's come along from that uh welcome uh you know i promise you i will only sparingly uh read star trek uh slash fiction uh to careless whisper only occasionally flip side to that uh we know we got some super nerds out in our listeners and if you guys like D, which probably a lot of you do and you're in the market for a great podcast, go check out Hail and Well Met. Absolutely. And on that note, we will see you next week with Unity. Peace. Peace.